Hello and welcome to Piece by Piece, the podcast where we piece together what makes a world without violence. While we don't always see it, gender-based violence is all around us. At ANOVA, we believe in a future without violence. But what does a future without violence look like? And how do we get there? My name is Dr. Annalise Trudell, and I'm your host. Today's episode, BDSM. In other words, bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. Now, BDSM can be so much more than what we actually do in the bedroom. Kink can be playful, supportive, intimate, liberating, and community-based. So today, I get to talk with Mix Eve and Dreamy about the expansiveness of kink and its connection to queerness and queer spaces. We're so fortunate because they are a couple and we get sort of some insight into how this plays out in their own dynamics. To note, those names are pseudonyms so that our guests can remain anonymous. Give a listen. Welcome Eve and Dreamy. Hi. Hello. It's so fun to have two people here because I get to also observe a dynamic and sort of get like an insight moment into another couple, which is lovely. So thank you for being generous and being willing to talk about your own selves and your own relationship as well. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thank you for having us. (laughs) For sure. Okay, so, you know, let's just start with the sort of high level. Tell us a bit about what it means to you um, to be part of the BDSM community and sort of how you enter that sort of community in that space. Do you want to start? You start. No, no, you go first. Okay. Okay. Um, I think my journey with BDSM was really solitary for a long, long time. And I think that that's a lot of, lots of people, that is their only journey with BDSM. It's part of their sex life and that's where it stops. Um, But um, a bunch of years ago, I started working at a feminist sex toy store and got um, kind of started at being an educator around BDSM and that entered me into the BDSM community um, and kind of took what was something that was a part of my sex life and allowed it to become part of my like queer identity, my family of like-minded people. Um, and I've been, it's been like a constant pleasure in my life to be part of that. It's really nice. How about you go? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I guess I have a pretty similar story in my own kind of way. Like it started with, um, having BDSM introduced and very like still vanilla sexual relationships uh, that, you you know, uh, escalate into something that I was kind of looking for something different, you know, something a little more sensory and um, overall stimulating as opposed to just sexually. Um, And I just, I didn't really know that there was much of an outlet for that until um, I had kind of met Eve and uh, learn more about both our local scene and the online scene and how I could explore that and kind of the rest is history. Mm -hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of through what you're saying, it sounds to me like there's sort of the quote unquote sexual acts of what are part of BDSM, but there's, there's more, there's, there's, there's something else that I'm not quite getting to and you're, you're, you're living it. So tell me what, what is that more beyond the like pragmatics of the sex acts that count or don't count as BDSM? 
So one of my favorite quotes is by a really famous BDSM practitioner named Midori. And she says that BDSM is um, a childhood imaginative play with adult sexual privilege. And I love that quote because it really, for me, this BDSM and in my community where we get together and we practice BDSM together and we support each other in that practice um, is really where I play as an adult. It is fun. It is connective and it is intimate. It is performative. Um, and all of those things require like an audience and a community around you, not just your partner. I mean, it is all those things with the person that you play with too, but um, for me that I get to share that side of myself with other people and have other people support and share that side of me feels incredibly affirming in my identity and in my queerness too. I mean, our, our particular group of BDSM practitioners is very queer. Um, that's not true for all groups, um, but it is for ours. Mm -hmm. So you can already sort of see that you're doing it with me, but let's demystify what this all means. So when we're talking about BDSM, it is more than the specific acts. Um, it is much different than the sort of stereotypes in Hollywood might sort of portray. So lay out the basics. Okay. So BDSM and kink is an umbrella term. Um, it's an umbrella term to actually fit in a whole range of like ways that people interact with each other. Um, so you can have sadomasochism, which is one person is in um, the sadistic um, position where they cause pain onto another person. Another person is a masochist and they receive pain or intense sensations from the sadist. And this is of course, all consensual um, and negotiated. So this is not um, rough sex. This is something that takes place in a very deliberate space. Um, there's also people who just play with power dynamics in general, who like to role play power dynamics. So some people just like to feel submissive and some people like to feel dominant. And those roles feel very natural to them sexually or when pursuing intimacy. So that can look a lot of ways that can look like classic role play, like a teacher and a student or like a policeman and a person they're pulling over. Um, there's also people who just really crave really specific kinds of stimulation, like some people who particularly like to be spanked or particularly like to look at feet or particularly like leather. Um, and this is just part of their kind of sexual hardwiring. Hard yeah. Um, and they pursue relationships with people who can provide those things for them and enjoy it. And I've heard you sort of say it this way before, so I'm going to put words in your mouth, but they're your own, um, is that all of these are sort of ways that folks pursue pleasure and connection. Yes, I think that's really important. So if we're talking about that demystifying piece, mm -hmm. um, which is that people think of BDSM and they think of kink as being hard and scary and in a dungeon and everyone's wearing black and it's like... And my experience of BDSM is so much about love and intimacy and connection and trust 
that's a huge piece of it, which is that in order to engage in this kind of play, you have to deeply trust the person that you're playing with for legal reasons and because there is risk involved in this kind of play. So that trust creates like a really profound bond. You want to speak to that at all? Yeah. Well, I, I know from my own personal experience that just from a very young age, I was naturally um, just a very shameful and anxious person and uh, learned very quickly that I had no problem removing my own authentic sense of self in order to cater to my society or my peers or anything like that. So uh, growing up and experiencing real life and real relationships while um, kind of habitating that sort of mindset it, it wasn't authentic it was it, I felt super vacant and um BDSM and kink helped give me an outlet and a, a safe uh outlet to reconnect with uh sensory-ish uh interests hardwiring fantasies anything that actually is authentically me that I can bring back into myself mm-hmm. and like know that it's okay yeah and it's a place of no judgment mm-hmm. too when you're negotiating stuff and you both want to do them to each other and you get to be free of that shame and free of that judgment because um someone is there to support you in it you're speaking to that especially you dreamy like it it really counters the negative stereotype of BDSM that is sort of this coercive one person is gaining at the expense of the other um, thing. Like you're literally speaking in language that is liberatory, either from yourself or like society's sort of scripts and ways of doing sex. Um, that's that's incredibly powerful. And even, you know, Eve, you framing it as playful. And as being, and I'm not quite, you know, sure. I think I still have some of my own stereotypes in my mind, but what you mean exactly by sort of even community-based and community-driven and in community, not as though it's this solo nuclear family in the bedroom alone space. It can be that. It absolutely Mm -hmm. is that for many folks, but our expression of it is very community-based. Our relationship with those people are so different too, because like they can see each other engage in play and in sexual activity without necessarily engaging with it with each other and still having a very like supportive, like friendly, non-predatory kind of uh, environment Mm -hmm. for each other, you know, Um, which I I find really valuable. That word predatory. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that's often leveled. Um, what are ways, you know, we've sort of demystified what this is, but often I feel as though, and I'm, I'm speaking for an experience I don't live, but I feel that the BDSM community experiences specific forms of exclusion and sort of within pride spaces particularly, but I'm sure society more broadly. Do you want to sort of open that up for us? What are the the ways that the BDSM community experiences that form of exclusion? Well, I mean, I think we live in like a deeply puritanical culture. I mean, and that's a hard one too, because there's lots of ways that like heterosexual, cisgendered sexuality is like shoved down our throats all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the exact same way, real human sexual expression and all of its messiness and all of its complexity, there's very little room for that in popular discourse. Um, I think we're only just starting to see like in media, some positive portrayal of um, BDSM relationships as being 
more than just that power dynamic, having more care and intimacy. But I can only think of like a, literally a couple examples. What are they? Because now I'm curious. <laughs> There's a new one on Netflix called How to Build a Sex Room. Yes. Have you okay. seen it? <laughs> yes, I've been watching it the last it's few nights. so great. And it really shows people's kinks as being joyful and connective and a part of them deepening their relationships with each other and exploring themselves. Like, I love that. There's a beautiful little Korean um, one on Netflix too called Love and Leashes. And it's a little Korean rom-com. I highly recommend. It's really cute. I will have to watch that. Thank you for pointing that okay, back to the question. What were you talking about? <laughs> we we're talking about kink and pride spaces. Yeah. Um, like, I feel really strongly about this because if you do any historical deep dive into like queer communities and gay communities, um, especially prior to this generation of like much more queer acceptance, um, there have always been leather communities. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a- another way of saying BDSM. Yes. Just for clarity. Yes, it's another way of seeing BDSM, and they and they and they're historically called leather families, and it was just another kind of chosen family for a lot of gay and queer folks. Um, and there's like a whole spectrum of like, like if you've ever gone to Pride and seen like dyke on dykes on bikes, and like there's a lot of leather representation there, and people wearing the topless, wearing harnesses. Um, there's a lot of ways that like the aesthetics of BDSM have kind of sunk into queer culture too. Um, and so for me, the two are inseparable. Mm-hmm. And like personally for my identity, I consider them inseparable. Like the word queer, meaning doesn't fit in, not exactly right. My like kink identity is absolutely a part of that feeling of not fitting in, not exactly right. And um, I think it is integral to honoring our queer ancestors um, that we support and celebrate this when we celebrate pride. Um, I personally am not very interested in making pride family friendly. I don't think that's the point of it. Pride pride continues to be a riot. And I think that it's so important that the full spectrum of like queer identity and sexuality is represented there. And so that like hot tension point you've just listed, just in case folks aren't on the up on this, is that it's sort of been desexualized is how I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, So particular, you know, floats, let's say, where there's folks who are very sexual in nature or naked in whatever way that might mean, have been sort of pushed to the margins because we don't want our kiddos seeing that. Mm -hmm. Right. Which firstly is interesting because I feel like kids can have lots of interesting conversations seeing that. (laughs) Um, So that's not inherently harmful nor negative to our kiddos. But um, I I hear your point that if pride was meant to celebrate the margins and push for their inclusion in space, we're missing the mark if we put those very sub communities even further to the margins. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit voyeuristic and ask this question, <laughs> um, but tell me about your relationship. How do you structure that? And I'm going to let Dreamy talk about yay. it. And what do you get out of it? Like, give us insight on this. 
Yeah. Um, so when, okay, when did you first say that you were looking for a new partner? I was trying to remember that. Was that like 20? We had a really cute, and it was like a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had a cute interaction. Dreamy is a tattoo artist and they had to, they were giving me a tattoo and they had to get on their knees and like shave my leg. <laughs> just something about about that afterwards I texted him and was like um not to be weird about you at work but that was hot (laughs) (laughs) sorry I interrupted you go (laughs) I had already had such a crush on her and um when she had like a I think one of uh, one of her like spots for lack of a better term uh for a play partner opened up um, and as soon as she uh, brought that up, I was just like, hi, hi. hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think for a, a good six months, maybe uh, it was because that was still during like quarantine um, being kind of in and out. Um, we kind of started playing with dynamic online, just like over the phone, uh, very low, ca- like low um, pressure, uh, casual um, once in a while kind of uh, things that, you know, uh, wouldn't affect our day-to-day lives too intensely while still kind of figuring out what our dynamic was. Um, and I, like, if, if I guess nobody knows this for context, uh, Eve very naturally is the dom in our relationship. And I just like to do everything that she says, <laughs> um, but she is also a service dom. So it, we have very extensive conversations about like what I'm interested in as well and like how uh, she can help me with that and vice versa. And it's a very uh, give and take relationship that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've transitioned from that part into what would be called 24 seven dynamic where unless we negotiate it, because we are quite flexible, like if things are going on in our lives, like we will pause. Um, But we consider ourselves to be kind of in our dynamic in that I am the dom and he is the sub in almost all of our interactions with each other. And so with the notion, again, my my lack of knowledge here, but with the notion of a safe word or something come into play for that, because that, that 24 seven, you know, dreamy, if you need a pause for whatever reason, how does that get communicated or played out? So we negotiate pretty extensively if we're going to like play 24 seven, where like Eve is going to ask uh, me to do very extensive things or like for us to like um, put away like a, a certain amount of time for each other um, in regards to these scenes. Um, but for the most part, there isn't really a need for a safe word in these types of environments because at any point I can be like, hey, I'm going through it. Like I, I need to, you know, take care of these certain things or focus on one thing over another. And uh, she can do the exact same thing for me. And it's a, it's a very natural, like, it's, it's just as if we were like talking day to day in general. Yeah. And something. Yeah. Like, Dominance for me is a form of care work. Mm-hmm. And so um, we do constant checking in mm-hmm. with okay. each other. Um, yeah. And part of the trust building part of our relationship is that I have to trust Dreamy to tell me 
when he needs something, when something is not right, when he wants something else, when he needs more time. And because he does that with me regularly, um, I feel so much security in pursuing our play because I can trust that he is going to tell me what he needs. And I do the same with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is kind of like, not part of the play, but very parallel to it in that sort of way, because that you were one of the first people that I was able to practice ex like um, explaining and um, describing the things that I, I needed and yeah. what I was going through. Um, mm -hmm. And to be able to do that inconsequentially and have it be a productive mm -hmm. uh, thing for the both of us. Yeah. And like as a dom, making space for that is something I am incredibly focused on, which is like trying to always create an environment. So even though we're in a power dynamic and I get to be mean and tell him what to do and like make him do things for me. And that's really fun for both of us. The other part of that is always making space for him to be able to be vulnerable and um uh express what he needs i have the, i feel like i have the power to stop whatever we're doing at any point of time mm -hmm. right and so there's two words that you used one um a service dom did i say that service dom yeah Got it. um and so is that really speaking to what you just said eve sort of the the focus being on care in particular, don't get me wrong. Like I'm also a sadist. <laughs> like I like to hurt people for fun. Um, it's part of it. But that's, but I only like to hurt people who want to be hurt, you know? And so, and that, that act of putting through someone through what we call a scene. So just to be really clear, um, we're in 24 seven dynamic in that our power dynamic exists, but we do specific scenes in which like the kink acts happen and those are pre-negotiated and those scenes are like set up it's going to be from this time to this time and that's where like play happens and that's another word mm -hmm. um and so like giving dreamy what he craves and like sending him to this place where he is in his body and um, connected to his desires and being able to like guide him through that is such a catharsis for him and my pleasure in being able to like provide that service for him is most of it for me like it's also super hot <laughs> but right. it's like but for me it's like that care piece is so so integral to my pleasure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can see that and so there's all different sort of subwords within the community to what you're speaking to in different ways, these identities and these acts are taken up in different sort of relationships or playful spaces. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is its own community in the way that it has its own vocabulary, has its own nuance. Everyone kind of has a different way that they play. There's not, and that, I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions about kink and BDSM is that there's just kind of, it looks one way. Hmm. And when I really teach it, I try to teach that it, it is a creative act. 
like some people want to be in like a pink Hello Kitty room and like play that way. And mm-hmm. I, my Dom identity, it's like, I've never worn high heels to Dom one time in my whole entire life. I wear Doc Martin boots <laughs> <laughs> so, or bare feet. Cause that makes me feel witchy. So there's like, mm-hmm. there's different, uh, your own identity and like how you choose to connect and co-create. Cause really like this dynamic is a total co-creation between the two of you or three of you or however many people are in the Mm -hmm. dynamic, um, that co-creation can look endless amounts Mm -hmm. of ways. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of some work we're doing um, at Western University where we're unpacking the expectations we bring to a sexual encounter by naming like there's a dominant sexual script and for folks who haven't heard me talk about this, it sort of, you know, starts with making out, let's say it moves to a blowjob, let's say it moves to penis and vagina, it ends with him coming. Mm-hmm. And we unpack all the expectations that sets up in so many of our lives. And the sort of BDSM practitioners, ooh, is that how I'm supposed to say that? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, are really part of unpacking that as well, pushing the bounds, not only, of course, like which specific sort of identities are part of that, who's supposed to initiate, whose pleasure is the ultimate goal, but even pushing us further to think about other dynamics at play in that sort of scripting and relationship. So it's on a continuum of how far we push against that normative one script. I mean, I say this all the time about myself, but like kink is where I am the most creative. Mm-hmm. It is like, I think it, I want to say borders on art, but it feels like performance art to me. Um, you know, we are dressed in a certain way. There is music, there is incense, there is a plan. Um, and th- we get to dissolve into these roles. And in that, those roles, there's endless creativity in how you perform them with each other and self-reflection as to why yeah and we do a lot of that too there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like we just did a thing let's talk about how we feel about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and on the sort of worst end of the negative stereotypes of bdsm is sort of violence and coercion Mm -hmm. and again all i've heard from you folks throughout this is not only the polar opposite but also and i think you said this at the beginning eve like deep consent navigating, like the amount of communicating you're going through on so many different, like verbal, non-verbal intentionality, thinking things through. That Mm -hmm. is something that many of us can only aspire to in our sexual lives. Yeah. That a high standard. (laughs) It is. And, and, you know, we don't know this, but all the consent stuff that we're teaching at Western has its roots in the BDSM community. Mm -hmm. Like BDSM communities have been practicing these kind of high level consent practices for as long as there has been BDSM Mm -hmm. and there is negotiation beforehand. In fact, after this podcast, we have, because we've been doing this for about a year and a bit, like a year Mm -hmm. and a half. So we have a negotiation planned after this, where we are reviewing kind of everything that we do, how our dynamic feels, some more things that we want. And we negotiate before we do every scene. Mm-hmm. that we do. So I will send Dreamy a menu. He gets to reflect on that, gets to add things that he wants. So they like take things away. Mm-hmm. So we both know what to expect. 
And then all the way through a scene, safe words can be used by either one of us, not just something that the bottom uses. Um, either the top or the bottom can use safe words. And then afterwards, we have aftercare, where we have experienced something really intense together. So we come down together, we eat something, we cuddle, we talk about what happened. And then even after that, I usually ask Dreamy to do some kind of reflection on what happened. And because Dreamy is a beautiful artist, <laughs> it's usually in the form of art <laughs> that I ask for. <laughs> So yeah, there's incredible amount of care and consent work that goes into this because it, there's risk involved. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I could answer this question for you at this point, but I'm not going to do that. So, you know, a really sort of quick answer. What is your favorite part about being a BDSM practitioner? <laughs> I think, well, for, for me, it's, it's therapy, you know, I, that's what a lot of it comes down to. It's, it heals a lot of inner stuff for everybody, um, whatever their relationship with their sexuality or just their body and their senses are, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it is the care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you both for sharing yourselves, not just educating us, but being so vulnerable and sharing yourselves. You're welcome. Truly grateful. <laughs> Thank you. Are you loving our piece-by-piece piece content? Well, here's how you can support us and Innova. Our Wine Dine Showtime Gala is back this year in person on September 19th at Bellamere Winery. We hope you'll join us for a great night out with your London community to support Innova in ending gender-based violence. While, hey, also enjoying some delicious food, dancing, and good company. So visit innova.org and stay tuned to our socials for more details. See you there.